Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Oliver Jones, and my brooding co-host, Ed Stevens. Today's conversation is with Tim Armu. After early failures as a swimmer turned magician, at 23 years, Tim has already founded three companies. His latest is the influencer marketing platform, Fanbytes, a company described by the BBC as owning the mind of Generation Z. We talk about influencer marketing and the development of Snapchat as the heir apparent to on-demand TV. Infamous YouTuber Logan Paul gets a stern examination. We also discuss Tim's interesting approach to the entrepreneurial existence, including Eisenhower Productivity Matrix, Alexa-powered mornings and intermittent fasting. So without further ado, we bring you Tim Armu. Today, Ed and I are joined by Tim Armu, founder of influence marketing platform Fanbytes. Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How does it feel to be back in the uh, Founders Factory building? It's good, man. Yeah? I spent the first like 15 minutes just like high-fiving a ton of rounds. <laughs> it's a good community here. It's good vibes. When did, you, when did you leave the office? Man, so we actually started January, um, so six months, so January, February, March, February, June. Um, so we left around like July, but um, still good vibes. Like I keep in touch with quite a fair few other people here, so it's good. Well, even the lady on the door knew you were coming. She oh, did. Yeah, 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 she remembered yeah. you very well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, it's good, man. Yeah. No, it's a good community here, and I imagine today we'll get onto it, but there'll probably be good potential business lines for you in the future. Mm. Was it a productive experience being in Founders Factory? It was good. I think when we kind of first started Fanbytes, you know, we started like really this snapchat thing we started at the start of last year so we were almost kind of this unknown entity right so these guys helped us get like our first kind of users so mm-hmm. universal and those guys they right. were like pretty instrumental well i say they were instrumental they literally made the introduction so it was the network that you leveraged yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and you know subsequently they've been um, useful but they're good man cool um well let's, let's yeah let's predate that because there's a hell of a story leading up to fanboys right <sighs> Uh, yeah, the, I guess the, the golden goal of this conversation is to unpack influence and influencer marketing mm. and, of course, the great work that you guys are doing at, at Fanbytes. But, but before we get there, let's talk about you because um, you're quite an interesting guy. I've got here Excuse that... Um, you're a swimmer. You're a swimmer <laughs> and a magician. No. And a magician. Those are the two things that really stand out for you. Um, <laughs> I, do, I do want to ask about the swimming because you still haven't gotten a, a pool yet. Well, you no, still haven't learned to swim yet? I can't swim. I can't swim. There's this <laughs> kind of like random stereotype that like black people, for example, can't swim, right? Um, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and and like for me, is this thing where if I was being chased by a shark, I reckon I could like get out, right? But like... You'd hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so. But if it was just like a leisurely swim, I'd probably drown, so... So, so after the, the attempts <laughs> at swimming and, uh, and magicianhood, um, yeah. you've actually started your first company at 14. Yeah. Um, for a bet for a bet yeah man um so kind of the stories that um at 14 i was hanging out with a really good friend of mine who's now like i don't know what canals doing i think he's now like a physicist or something like that but um we were walking down the road saw this like black mercedes benz you know asked each other hey how much do you think this benz costs and, you know, we're like 14. So the idea of money is just like, you know, mm-hmm. a pound to us is like, whoa. Yeah. Right? So, so I said, it's hundreds 
one piece sweets. Exactly, it? exactly. Um, literally. Um, <laughs> don't, don't pretend you're around when one piece sweets were around. <laughs> Please, that's 1980s. They never, never. Um, yeah, so I said kind of the biggest number I could think of, 500 pounds, right? Because to me, that's like, you know, at 14, I'm thinking that's like 5 million. That's like a lot of money, right? Um, so then he made me a bet. He said, I bet you wouldn't see, you know, 500 pounds before the age turned 18, right? Again, just because it seemed like a huge amount of money. So then I decided to kind of like take on that bet, right? Mm-hmm. So t- uh, to me, it was a four-year bet. Um, and the whole idea was I went home, started looking around on online to see, you know, ways you can make money, right? But, um, you know, when you go on the internet, especially, what, I'm like 23 now, so like nine years ago. When you go on the internet and you start like ways to make money, the things you see are just ridiculous. Is these guys with a ton of bling driving a Ferrari with just hot girls everywhere? It's like pay me four hundred ninety-seven dollars a month and I will show you how to be like this, right? Um, so that guy, was it Ty Lopez, who for like eighteen months was all I ever saw yeah. on my YouTube adverts every single time? It's like two Lamborghinis, but then what's more important yeah, yeah. than that? It's, but you know what? I have so much respect for Ty Lopez. It's like insane. Like, okay. I actually look at Ty Lopez and think what he did was like so ingenious because um, he grabbed Mindshare. And yes, by is. grabbing Mindshare, now he's got, you know, I think he's, I think I was reading this thing saying his email list is like something stupid, like 2.5 million people. So if Ty Lopez brings out literally a Ty Lopez branded pen, he just sends out his email list and then he just makes like millions, right? So although it's kind of this, you know, 18 months ago it's like super intrusive and stuff like yeah. he actually was able to grab Mindshare now he's making bank every single day from just like you know just having that audience and being able to um, tap into it it's true you know what and if you've got a stomach for it and you're willing to be the person who pisses a few people off by just being on everything you know you're not going to mm. be for everybody and some people are going to just slack you off but as you say if he's got two and a half million email subscribers out of it it's like he should mm. care and, yeah. and he's found his audience and they, they say you can monetize a thousand good emails mm. you know subscribers on your list could be worth a hundred thousand yeah, yeah. dollars a year to you so well that's a that's a, that's a tim ferrissism is a tim ferrissism yeah. i mean why not um um so alpha tutors sorry, yeah so yes yeah. Yeah, yeah so then you know went online saw a bunch of these like garbage scams um but then what i did see was a quote and i don't remember who's from but it was an amazing quote so like work with what you know and i remember on that day um i had done pretty well in math um so we done a test i scored like i think 100 percent on that actually and then i was like you know i'm just gonna tutor people in math right so next day went out um kind of just asking people in my school hey i'm gonna you know tutor you in math i built a reputation in school as you know you know being the nerd basically, yeah, yeah, right? yeah um and so people are like well if i can you know be like the nerd um then yeah so i was charging like i think i was charging like 10 pounds an hour which is very low for like for today's yeah, race. yeah but you, yeah. Had four, you had four years you didn't want to win the race in, <laughs> you know, in half a year yeah um yeah so i started like uh 10 pounds an hour and then people started to refer their friends after like the first week but then they started to refer their friends to things like spanish and physics and biology and stuff I was like i don't know anything about those so then i started I literally went to teachers who taught those subjects and I said, who did the best in your last test? So then they'd say who it was. Then I'd go to that person and say, hey, do you want to make some money? Increased it to like 15 pound an hour. I took 
five pounds, they took ten pound, and then I, I was the person like connecting the two, right? Thirty-three so, percent commission, exactly, big yeah, cut, <laughs> exactly, right? And then um, so that worked really well. It started going like outside of school, so people started telling their friends, etc. So I was literally again the like middleman, basically um, yeah. connecting the two. I think there's like a pattern actually, which I've seen in like all the kind of like, companies of that. Anyway. So then that worked well, scaled it up to like 65 tutors. Um, Can I just ask quickly? Yeah. Because back in those days, how did how did you handle the logistics of 65 people? Yeah. So phone, Excel, and a fake doctor's note I wrote. Uh, so I basically, get, <laughs> it was kind of funny actually. Um, what, I, what was wrong with you? I don't know. You don't um, remember? I think it was something like my stomach was bleeding. So I don't know. I, I just had something which was like so outrageous, right? Where if I told a teacher I had to leave to go to the toilet, right. like it would be inhumane <laughs> for them to say yes, right? So what's happening was these guys had my number. They'd like text me. I had this Excel sheet. Then I'd go and like, you know, I'd go to the toilet. Then I'd call up the tutor. Then the tutor would then go and, you know, connect, etc. right? So there was like very, very kind of, like basic stuff there um so that was pretty fun um how that ended was a really good um lesson in how to build marketplaces um being the connector what tends to happen and especially in tutoring if i introduce you to this tutor and you like him you would like to stay with them right so there's no need to you know get a new person is also not in your best interest to involve me all the time because you're giving me 33% each time. So then what's happened was a bunch of new tutors were going directly. Um, and so that was how that that kind of ended, right? Mm -hmm. so I'm quite heavily involved with the, the tutoring industry mm -hmm. at the moment. And it's, uh, I don't know if you follow it very much, but it's a problem that persists. Yeah. That's why there's, in, that, that, there's an interesting model being going around, which is the, like a, you make the Uber for, you know, um, badge RMD sort of tackled that where it's like the payment goes on behind the scenes yeah so nobody so the cheater now doesn't have to collect the money yeah so they actually appreciate the fact that they're not asking for the cash yeah. and then the whole thing just sort of ties yeah if up. the transaction's seamless yeah. yeah so like i realized that after i basically realized that i wasn't i was losing a ton of money every single week and so i but making a ton too but how did that make you feel <laughs> um were you angry or was it just like do you know what you know what if that's business i had made 500 pound by week four so okay. i was like I won the bet. Until, <laughs> until, until you went to the car, the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got 500 for yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, nah, mate. Sorry, I think you need to add a few more zeros, right? Um, <laughs> but I think around like week three, I basically start to realize like 500 pound is not a Benz, mate. Um, you get like a week rental, maybe. Uh, if that. If that. If that. Anyway, so yeah. So from that, what I basically found was that um, I needed to be able to understand how to build like technology, which actually was able to kind of handle the whole stack so that ended i won the bet it was great but then that really got me interested in building like online businesses because my whole thing was you know the tutoring thing was heavily offline heavily manual but if i can enter into like the online world where i can bring people together but i can actually handle the like ecosystem and have some kind of like value in there that's like an interesting thing and so that was that really so that was kind of the first kind of business i call that like my play business because it was fine, but you know. Yeah, so with Entrepreneur Express, um, I've got here that from launch to acquisition was 11 months. Yeah. And, and this was that aged. Was crazy. This was aged yeah, 17. That was um, bizarre, man. So talk us through that. Just I was quickly. so, that was, that was just <laughs> beyond nuts. Like sometimes when I like talk about it, I still feel like it didn't happen because like everything just feels like a film. Um, it was just so strange. So Entrepreneur Express um, was basically like, so 
about six, seven years ago, there was a lot of hype on like everybody starting their own business, right? Like mm-hmm. even more than there is now. There was so much hype around it. Um, and so what I decided to do was I um, built Entrepreneur Express, which was a business media publication. So think literally entrepreneur.com, but for like younger people, right? So we had an online version and an offline version. Um, and through just random sheer effort and obsessive LinkedIn usage um i was able to get into like some good conferences where i was then able to um interview uh people like richard branson james khan and ellen sugar and that all happened at like one conference by the way which just a quick side note that just speaks to like the power of just like i don't know the best way but like serendipity like because mm-hmm. that was a f- this guy called like Vishal something like he was running these conferences and he managed to get Branson Allen Sugar and like James Khan. So I had to like network my way through and say, Hey, you know, can I get into anyway. But serendipity happens by putting yourself in that situation. And yeah. I think a lot of people could learn from that that networking is just going and putting yourself yeah, out there. But it's and something good will happen. It's interesting now because it's technologically mediated. Yeah. The reach feels further. Like, I mean, uh, there's a story I'll cut to later about that, but you have to play the game. Yeah. And you make it lucky. And that's the thing is people don't want to ask yeah. Richard Branson, Alan Sugars, because they feel like they'll never respond. But it's like, what have you got to lose? Yeah, exactly. They if, if, if they don't like it, they won't remember you. Yeah. You can come back again. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think I think probably the best term is like it's organized serendipity, which, which seems <laughs> like a juxtaposition, but it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah. So managed to get those bunch of interviews, put them in the offline version, and then our plan was to distribute it through like universities, right? So that was our whole thing ended up being a complete shambles because at 17 didn't realize that the thing that really pushes print publications is advertising for some bizarre reason we kind of had so much content but we just didn't think about advertising right so eventually we'd sign on people like oxford cambridge lse warwick to actually take it the next year um but we just didn't have enough advertisers to actually like fund it so we spent all the time focusing on the online version because the offline version like completely tanked and then the online version just put so much effort into just writing content creating content all that stuff and then the monetization there was really interesting i basically um i basically knew how to grow a lot of like big facebook pages so if you think about the precursor to what people like Unilad and Lad Bible are now. And there's Hello You, the Tab, exactly, exactly. the Paper. Yeah, there's exactly, a whole load of them. Exactly. So like those guys. I knew a bunch of the people who not only like own those pages, but they own them. And I, and I knew the like system to like build those pages. And these guys would own pages around like motivation and inspiration and all that stuff. So then I'd go to those guys and say, Hey, you post my article. I know, I, I know that, that would send, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And then I'll go bring an advertiser and then I can like guarantee they'll get, you know, a hundred thousand impressions. And then I'll give you a cut of the impressions that you get. Right. So they were essentially building my traffic up for me. Then I was bringing advertisers who were involved in like display advertising, etc., And that was how basically I like made the money they'll advertise on entrepreneur express and then I'll send a ton of traffic from these like uh, big Facebook pages and that was really like how we kind of made our money from there um, so that was a cool experience and then within literally 11 months I think within 
November or something like that, we just got this random email, literally random email from a company who said, hey, we'd like to partner up. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm like 17 in my shorts on Friday, 2 a.m., right? And it's saying partner up. I'm like, yeah, okay, mate. We, and then he <laughs> says, hey, can you send some like information about, you know, your site, your traffic numbers and all that stuff? And I'm like, yeah, cool, whatever. We speak in an hour and he says, hey, I've been looking through your numbers. Um, Rather than like partner up, would you be interested in like potentially us like acquiring you, right? Brilliant. And this is why... Brilliant. I just believe I know, it's I like a film or something. Like, that's just this guy is crazy. I would yeah. I wouldn't have believed that for sure. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, well, yeah, let's like discuss that, right? Because I didn't even know what like a proper like acquisition like meant, sure. etc. Right? So to me, and the company, I think like iHorizon Media or something like that, right? So they basically own a bunch of like blogs in like, you know, so many different verticals. So like animals and food, etc. So they were building up their like business vertical. So when they said acquired, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in like first year sixth form, right? I'm thinking I'm gonna have to drop out and go to America to like mm-hmm. write for them. Um but then it was like no, like we just like to acquire you guys. Um but wasn't he losing the, the value that you brought in? Because that, that's the thing is it felt like you were facilitating a lot of the... Well, what did he want? What, why, yeah. why did he buy it? So what he was buying was the traffic systems that I've built. Right. Because again, from like um, Alpha Tutor, and I basically realized that you don't want to be like really in a manual business, which like depends on you. So I'd basically built like a system whereby the way i was able to generate traffic was really simple so it was like a a folder where the people who were on the pages could take the content post the content record their views so it was buying the system and also the like email list that we'd grown mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. i think you know we had an email list of about lord knows it was quite a lot like two hundred seventy thousand people oh, on, right. our, on our email list right um and not a very long period of time either exactly so to him it was like actually we could take this two hundred seventy thousand people who can then convert to some of our other blogs and you know the ltv of those are much higher right so he was buying kind of the traffic and also like just like the data either the data being like the emails basically of like young entrepreneurial people man if, if, if i saw tim and i was going to acquire the business and he, you were 17 i'd have been like i'll pay you 50 60 grand a year come like get out of school yeah he didn't know like like you obviously didn't know i was i was I I'd be really, do you know where it is now? Do you know what the story is and Lord what it's knows, become? Lord knows, man. I think, um, I think that whole company just became an agency. Right. Um, if I'm correct, I think like our eyes and media are now like just like a media agency. So I think they tried to become like a media company, didn't quite work. And um, I, I mean, I guess the fact that he didn't know ties in quite nicely with the, the, the main theme in, in your TEDx talk about how you can create identity mm. and, and sort of inhabit a persona in order to achieve a certain task at any one moment. Um, and the fact that you did it so so ably with him mm. was that you convinced him in your underpants, age 17, to, to pay you that amount yeah, of money. Yeah, that's very funny. Um, I, I just quickly, just, just for people who I guess haven't gone through that acquisition process, literally, how did that operate? How yeah. long did it take? Yes. What did it involve? So he sent a, so after I'd be like, yeah, let's, Let's chat. And um, what he did was he said he'll uh, speak to his people. And then what happens is they send you something called an LOI, right? So a letter of intent. 
and um, that's the thing saying listen like we're actually quite serious and when you have a letter of intent that means you can't actually talk to any other person about um selling your company but what i did was i uh manufactured another person who was attempting to sell the company uh, who was attempting to buy the company so i was like that would have taken him like you know two months to do but i was like listen like there's this other company here they're like really keen on this thing etc complete complete <laughs> bullshit right 100 percent bullshit <laughs> uh, like as in it was insane crap uh, and then he was like, okay yeah cool took him two weeks from the loi i yeah, signed the loi and um yeah within like two weeks i had to like give him all my logins um my kind of access to the like facebook pages the like systems i built um all that stuff i mean i did that in, like you know two three days it basically put in like a google drive um and then that was it and then he what did you do when the money cleared yeah what did when you money do? cleared do you know what 17, I did? you couldn't you couldn't go out drinking no um do you know what i did i, I, I did stupid stuff um i spent a good chunk of your like spread betting and okay, I realized, fine. no, but then I, I, I realized I was really bad at spread betting. I think everybody's pretty, I think the majority of people are pretty bad yeah. at spread betting. What's crazy is I had a friend, uh, Tom Swift. If you're listening to this, uh, no, F you, Tom Swift. <laughs> Tom's like a really good friend of mine, like super smart guy. But, um, and he was, he was doing well in like spread betting. But for some reason, he just like told me to get into it. And I didn't realize that, you know, Tom is good at certain things and I'm just not good at certain things. Um, so <coughs> yeah, so I just lost quite a bit of money on that. Gave quite a bit of money to like my parents as well. So you know, like gave them like trips and stuff elsewhere. And then I just end up like investing in it, right? And then like, pretty chill. I like that though because it all, to me that's like the, the mindset of somebody who's just like I'll roll the dice again. Mm, Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not over. I don't need to like squirrel this away because I'm never gonna succeed again at anything yeah, else. Yeah. It's like I'll just do something else, which probably brings us up to speed mm. to, to enter into fan bites yeah man because uh, we definitely want to cover this so anybody who is watching can understand yeah this world which is is crazy so i first actually came across you guys when i was on an entrepreneur judging student judging panel oh really uh, yeah and it was a guy called dan joyce and he invited me over to i can't remember it was liverpool street and yeah. then i saw ambrose pitch oh, and ambrose man. came up and and he he came on and it was like stiff as a board and, oh, it, and it was, he was nervous and he was kind yeah. of st stuttering and stuff like this and I was like what's going on and I was trying to pay attention yeah. and, then, and then I was like oh, this is a really cool business and then I went and spoke to Ambrose and I realised like he wasn't nervous at all Yeah, he's just insanely intelligent Yeah, he's insanely intelligent and you just look at him and it's like uh, it's like putting a thousand brake horsepower <laughs> engine into a sports car like the wheels are just spinning and because he went to Imperial and I went yeah, to Imperial yeah. as well so we kind of bonded over that and then I was like wow this is a this is a really good idea whether it got presented that way I think it was like too much information that he was trying yeah, to get out yeah. in like five minute that's, pitch that's and funny. you know I don't think he's nervous about whether Ed Stevens was deciding that his business was any good at a student <laughs> entrepreneur <laughs> thing that's crazy but I didn't know that I remember that it grew a little bit more and I saw it in the Daily Mail mm. you're getting a shout out so tell us what that was like because you didn't know Ambrose you you met him yeah so I met Ambrose so I met Ambrose at this like leadership event by Deloitte um I, I randomly met him and we actually bonded over books like so we just started talking about books so one of our favorite books is like 
how to win friends and influence people, right? So we just be like chatting to each other about books, etc. And then when I actually like was thinking about fanbytes, before fanbytes was fanbytes, we were running a company called like Banzi. Horrible, horrible, horrible idea. If any of your um, audience have heard of this company called like Prizio, I don't know if you heard of Prizio, but they basically were a platform where like celebrities could raise money for charity through experiences. So it was kind of like, Imagine it was like One Direction offering the chance for them to come and play in your living room. But then in order to enter the competition, you needed to buy like One Direction merchandise, which then gave you tokens for you to enter the competition. And then at the end of the competition, it was like one person is going to win. Right. So the whole idea was the competition raised money because you bought like merchandise. Sounds a lot like a lottery. Yeah, it was basically a lottery, right? But, you know, Prizer actually did insanely well. They recently, they, they sold for like a good chunk of money and then the founders went on to start another company which then sold for like 100 million. So like, wow. they did like insanely well, right? Um, so with that one, um, so we started that something very similar, but for us, we just focused on making it like singers and artists, but doing it so rather than giving the money to charity, they just kept the money so it was meant to be like a money like a way for an artist or singer to like monetize their audience because what the plan was fans would buy these like merchandise which would then enter into raffles where they could then win experience with that artist so it could be like this is just a random one it could be like beyonce would come and like dance for you or something like that but then in order to enter into that you need to you can buy like beyonce's um latest album beyonce branded t-shirt beyond and that'll give you different like like raffle entries into the competition does that make sense yeah so yeah. you still buy all the stuff that you would buy anyway as a fan but with yeah. the added chance exactly. of, of yeah. some sort of exactly uh, exactly speculative exactly. reward but it's, it's playing on the, the you can tell by the way the fact that like you guys didn't know what it was how shit of an idea it was no <laughs> we've seen a lot of I, well i've seen a lot of businesses it rings that, a bell now Eve. yeah very successful no yeah. it, we, <laughs> we've seen a lot of um businesses i think that are trying to crack a different model in the music industry and they're mm. trying to create that that fan engagement they're trying to sort of take them off the main media channels and say like you get deeper engagement it's very hard i think that's i think that's such a difficult business it's very man. hard and, and the investors are super scared of it as well because there's this notion that goes around investors at the moment mm. that's like they still feel the music industry doesn't make any money mm. and it's like it nah, doesn't nah, in yeah, the way it yeah. used to but the money's coming back in yeah, and, yeah. and you're doing live tours there's, there's a lot of money yeah, still mate. I just think people were just shying away from it a bit the, yeah. the confidence has been a bit lost so you guys what just parked that idea you yeah so we tried that and in our naivety we thought you know this is something that like people like adele will love right so literally like no word of a lie we were going info at adele.com <laughs> and pitching like this like six paragraph thing and why don't we why don't we try and call out to adele now let's <laughs> <laughs> just get that email into our inbox it was it was so bad it, and like we were frustrated that people were not replying it's like, of course they're not going to flip a reply right like this idea is rubbish and you're sending it to like info Info at, right? It's like it's, it's just such a horrible. There's idea. a folder for info at, isn't there? Exactly. Everybody's got a label, and as soon as exactly. something comes into that address, it's like 
Yes. Done, right? Um, but yeah, no, so we kind of started the idea. We realized that idea failed. We then started doing that with YouTubers. And then we started to realize, actually, perhaps YouTubers are like actually the people with the influence. So helping YouTubers monetize their audience through these like competitions, etc. So we realized that she wasn't that interested. Then we did that once with, uh, with Go Ape. And the competition was actually for the youtuber and a fan to go to go ape so then we called up go ape and we're like hey man like we're bringing someone here would you mind like paying for it and go ape were like oh yeah and they were like hmm okay this is interesting and then during the period i saw my cousin being influenced a lot by these like youtube celebrities i saw he was buying a lot of this stuff that you know ksi was wearing so buying new clothes buying new hat buying new games so i'm like hmm this is interesting right because this guy like his purchasing decisions are being influenced so much by these guys just you know chilling in the houses right and so then we decided actually let's help brands to tap into that um having sold a business which was essentially making money from like display advertising kind of whack if i'm honest with you like just kind of like making money from display i was always interested in like what's the next evolution so then we started fan buys which was connecting brands and youtubers together that worked well got a decent uh, chunk of clients adidas gopro puma all these guys um, signed on run good campaigns with them but then afterwards we're like we really want to dominate an industry just quickly who gets to sign off at the brand to do the work so who do you liaise with you go in and you pitch to match them to a youtube influencer and you say like is it is it head of marketing is it yeah so it's typically the like head of marketing or like the head of social um yeah like when we started doing it like now literally the youtube influencer marketplace is like jesus christ everyone is starting that right um because it's really easy to start like i literally sat with someone who set it up and in three days got a client and wow. he didn't have anything he had a wordpress site and saying we have access to uh, you know 20 million people he didn't have well i wanted to ask about that because i guess when you're starting out on any marketplace mm. you have this chicken and egg problem mm. where in order to get one side attracted yeah. you need to pretend that you've got the other side and vice versa yeah. um so how did you overcome that um with fanboys so when we were doing the youtuber stuff um our first real client was new look to so a brand first yeah, yeah brand first and we just bluffed it mate we said we had all of these there's people. a theme here <laughs> mate there's a theme here bluffing is key right? yeah uh, wing it till you make it yeah, yeah. I think I might write a book afterwards just saying like how I bluffed it. <laughs> just like various points in my life where I felt like I couldn't do something, then I did it, but I just like invented stuff and then it happened. Except being a magician. Except being a magician. <laughs> Age five. Exactly. Magic's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like that's pretty much how we solved it with, um, right. you know, went to them, said we had these people, we didn't, they said yes, we then we were together and then afterwards. And as soon as you got the brand, right, the people are going to come. Yeah, exactly. And also, you sell one brand on the next brand. Yeah. You know, for us, we're talking about alternative sources of financing. Yeah. So we're talking to iWalker. Yeah. And then we tell Funding Circle, we're talking to iWalker, and then you speak to both of them, and everybody suddenly just comes to the party. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so the YouTube thing was fine, but then we realized we actually wanted to, like, own an industry and actually not just be, like, the person connecting, because there's no real value in that. So then we started at the start of last year to focus on Snapchat. We realized that brands really needed some help on Snap. So what we did was... Well, let's go into that for a bit. Yeah. Because, Ollie, you raised the question. 
Yeah, so I haven't used Snapchat yeah. um, for about five years. Since you got banned. And um, I only had it. <laughs> well, you got banned from Snapchat. <laughs> <I don't laughs> He's never used Snapchat. But I only had, I only had it. <laughs> <laughs> you got banned from Snapchat. That's hilarious. No, I didn't. I didn't. I only I had one mm. contact and it was my girlfriend at the time. Mm. Um, and I was using it like everyone else did just for the, the power of the, the ephemeral data. Right, um, of course. Yeah. But I, I'm given to understand that it's 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 evolved a lot from people mm. sending speculative photographs. Speculative photographs yeah. um, it really has actually. And yeah. but I but I don't know anything about it now. Mm. So perhaps as a background to to fan bites, um, could you explain Snapchat to yeah, to an ignoramus like me? Yeah, a dinosaur. So like, which parts, for example? Well, okay. So I remember um, I went on a stag do with some of my friends from uh, in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and and these were um some Nigerian friends of mine who who live in America mm. and that American Snapchat culture is oh, yeah, just insane. it's another level and they were just engaging with it so much and I was like what's going on show show me what it's like and then then I saw the the kind of branded stories aspect of it I hadn't seen this before and then you can follow like everybody's footage around the world of the NFL mm, or mm. some daily event I was like that's way more captivating. And then one of our investors sold his business, AdLive, mm-hmm. to Snapchat mm. and was sitting right underneath Evan Spiegel. And so I started speaking to him about it and just sort of seeing what the potential of it was. Mm. Um, from that understanding, where do you see it today? How are people using it as a, as a casual user? And because also another person who I saw who did really well is, is Lethal Bizzle. Yeah. Became this like, he was good in the music industry and then we raised yeah. money for a company called Pingtune and he was involved in yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he he just had this this audience who who I mean he's he's a, such a big character like he's he's hilarious on it but he then started to publish records on the back of just this this Snapchat audience and yeah. it was like okay you're going straight to the people you need to go to yeah, to yeah, make yeah. the decisions about your career that you need. So for me, one of the big things that I've always thought about Snap, which I think a, a lot of people are not quite following, is I think they are like the new TV for the younger generation, right? So that's kind of the big bet that we've kind of like made um, at, at um, Fanbytes, right? And that kind of decided how we go about, you know, building the business, right? And as as you mentioned with the Lethal B thing, right? He is now his own broadcaster, yeah. right? And in a world where like, you know, Facebook is not kind of, is say completely immersive as say Snapchat where as you mentioned there is an there is an ability for Snapchat for you to literally just like type in the word Drake right and see hundreds of videos of just people just dancing to Drake stuff or at a Drake concert or so really being able to almost have this personalized TV channel where at any point you can just like tune into um, things that you like. For me, it's the big misconception is people think it's just like a social media, which is the reason why, you know, when Instagram brings stories, it like, you know, people are just slate snap. But if you think about it, it's like this is actually the future of TV for like younger people. It's on the phone. Everyone can be a publisher. The old media companies like Sky and all these guys, these guys have now built specific Snapchat channels because to them they're thinking we think this is the new form that the 13 to 18 year old is going to consume like tv let's mm-hmm. be there and that's kind of that is our big bet and like it's interesting kind of to see that those mainstream companies are agreeing with it because yeah. um we had uh, anthony rose on mm. last week um and as well as he's currently the founder of seed legals but yeah, in, a, in yeah. a previous manifestation it was his identity he uh, was a man behind bbc iplayer yeah and he was uh, brought across from australia and given three months 
to to build iPlayer and launch it um, at a time when on-demand TV was unheard of. Yeah. So it represented a paradigm shift. And and then in those three months, people didn't want to associate it with with him because mm. they just thought it was going to sink. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting to see that this. I mean, you clearly think that the Snapchat TV is a, represents the the next phase of the evolution of TV. Um, but it's interesting to see that, that Sky and other companies are, are, yeah. are backing that as well. So, you know, Sky, you know, like Daily Mail, all these guys, like even, you know, one of the things that we do on Snapchat is like we own these like really massive engaged channels, right? And So a channel is what, is it like a hashtag that you own that people can search for? And no, then so it's like a username, uh, okay. right? So we might own a snapchat channel which is around like beauty and fashion right mm -hmm. and we might say this product is hot and literally in the next you know 24 48 hours tons of people have like bought that product right you know what it's like it's because i know somebody who works at qvc yeah and qvc is mental like the amount of sales volume they do is insane what's qvc sorry you know that channel where it's like here for 39.95 you can get a magic mix too and then everybody <laughs> sits at home and they're like uh, you don't know who it's a tv it. channel yeah it's a tv channel yeah, yeah. Well, where they have someone with the, with the phone number you, next have you to never them. seen yeah, these? Yeah, yeah yeah have you never seen these and they've got like the latest I think I've, tried, I've tried to avoid them I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like oh bye now bye it's now. really captivating yeah. i mean never bought anything off it but at the same time now you have almost that like the the immediacy of the sale with somebody you have been following and mm. you buy into their life it's like it's if you look at it that way it's it's pretty powerful i mean what kind of sales volumes are you talking roughly speaking that somebody so so to give some context so we promoted a competition recently for some like beauty brand and 50,000 people went to enter that competition in 48 hours right wow. and then from the back of that they've driven like you know hundreds of thousands of pounds right so that type of thing right um so to us like that's where it gets interesting for me it, just in general in life right like there are two major like things you can have you can either have a ton of money or you can have a ton of influence mm -hmm. if you have any of those two um you'd be fine so one often us, begets the other as well right exactly exactly right um it, yeah exactly so for us when we see snapchat as like the new tv and people say oh i don't get it sometimes i'm like you're not meant to get it right like if you're you know 50 year old guy who has been so used to how you know certain things have been going and you don't get it i'm like well that's completely fine mm -hmm. um let me just show you the hard results of it happening and stuff like that so you think because I mean, obviously, influence marketing is extremely powerful because mm. of the the added level of credibility and authority. Because mm. you're already following someone, mm. whatever um, content they produce, like it, it's a positive experience for you because you're engaged with them. Mm. Um, it's not just being thrown in your face mm. like traditional advertising mm. is. Um, and I've completely lost my train of thought. It's <laughs> okay. I can pick up a train of thought because I did look into your um, back catalogue of ads mm -hmm. and, and the jobs that have been done. And the one thing I thought was quite interesting was one ad format. I couldn't really work out because I watched three influencers sort of sell me on this album. I think it was the Charlie. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The and they were they're like, sound, "Here's yeah. this music. Go to the new music." And I was like, "Does the influencer believe what they're engaging with? Does it even mm. matter? Is, is advertising, you know, is that even important anymore? Is it just? I wonder how far they can go from their sort of typical fan base to pick mm. up a check. You know, if you suddenly mm. go, actually, I." want to go to i don't know a country and western singers music check it out it's like you may get paid a lot but what's the mm. the general rule of thumb in terms of diluting your own sort of authority 
Yeah. Um, so I guess there's like two questions there, right? A couple um, of questions, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the first one was about like audience dilution. And yes. Is that fair? So yeah, what what's fair for the influencer to do mm-hmm. in terms of picking up a paycheck versus mm-hmm. and, and possibly being disingenuous mm-hmm. versus kind of keeping that core identity that they're trying to broker, I guess. Yeah. So on our end, um, one of the things we kind of pride ourselves on is like it's 100 percent opt in from the influencer. Right. So um, if they decide this is actually something that fits with my audience, then they can like go ahead and at least say this is something that they'd um, like to run. But we also implement a lot of like quality control as well. So for example, we would never run like more than, I think it's like more than like three, like three ads of the same type of company in like two weeks or something like that. So, so we've put in these kind of like systems in place to make sure that we don't kind of have this like audience like dilution and stuff because you're right if every single day of the week someone was just promoting this and that this and that you're like mm, actually doesn't make sense so there we have like contingencies but also when you add the fact that influencers are not like forced to say anything mm-hmm. or forced to actually you know like take up you know be a part of a campaign um then those two things are how we try and solve like audience dilution. And when they do promote something, how do you measure the effect of each individual influencer? Yeah, so this was... So remember when earlier I was saying that we moved out of the whole matching brands to influencers thing because you don't actually own anything, right? One of the things we have with at our disposal is like, so I'm a computer scientist in the whole team, you know, Ambrose, as you mentioned, is a mechanical engineer. My co-founder is a computer scientist as well. So we're like, you know, pretty geeky. We've really tried to scale up on just like the data and analytics, right? So we actually have data. So for every kind of campaign we run, we actually have data where you can figure out what was the completion rate of like each individual influencer, how many clicks they drove, what was the conversions, how many views they got, what people said about it. So you are able to get all that like like really um, granular. And is each influencer rewarded um, sort of meritocratically based on, on their performance for a yeah, campaign? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And like, so here's my prediction. By the end of this year, about about half of the companies who are like influencer mod companies are going to die. Mm-hmm. I, 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 just, I just believe that so much because a lot of these guys don't add any value. These, what these guys are, are human Excel sheets, right? They're people with a ton of different like, you know, usernames and subscriber names and followers. They don't actually have any actual mm-hmm. like value. So when you have a company like us who not only we have like technology, but also a different part of the business is where we actually own like Snapchat channels ourselves, which have like millions of like millions and millions of people following them. That there is you building like a, a proper business, not just some matchmaker. So you're an influencer as well, in effect. Yeah, yeah. So like we, so we have our own stuff where you know we can just like push stuff out. So one example, we've kind of moved into the AR world, the um, augmented mm. reality world. We've used like our own channels. We pushed out a lens we created, and we had like. Was, Wow. So sorry, that's an augmented reality yeah. experience you can yeah, you yeah. can promote. Yeah, okay. so we start work. So one of the brands we work with was Deezer, so the kind of like music streaming brand. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. Sorry to cut away, yeah. but like they're sponsoring a lot of stuff at the moment. I saw, um, you know, Izzy Gibbs. Yeah, 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 and he was sponsored by Deezer, and I was like, that's interesting. Yeah, so the brands are actually sponsoring the artists. But yeah, 
anyway, sorry. Yeah, so, you know, they did like an AR, so we created for them like a augmented reality boombox, which basically, depending on the music playing in the background, it moved um, according to that music. And we just put it on one of our channels within like 24 hours, one million people had like engaged with it. 40,000 people had like created videos where they were like, playing around with the boombox, right? So that's something that we can just do. And that is value. That is not just, hey, let us, you know, let us introduce you to this influencer because those guys are going to die like 100%. And I would say this every single day. Those guys are going to die by the end of this year. But you had no value. To create, let's say to create that filter, do you do you send that off to a graphic des design department? Do you code in an AR sort of development environment? Like how does that, I've always wondered how the snap filters work. How do you build them? Yeah, so those are like really hard to do at scale. So what we have is we've also built like a network of like designers, videographers, editors, like really insanely smart guys. And the thing is they're all like super young. Mm -hmm. So I think with that, that like a uh, boomboxing was created like by an 18 year old or something like that, right? So that person created that and then it was distributed to other 18 year olds. So it's just kind of like perfect kind of thing where you have like, created by a kid, sent by a kid, distributed by a kid, seen by a kid. And you pay them? Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, one um, one of our investors says something funny, like you're basically, um, you're basically building a kid's economy, <laughs> right? Because like kids are getting paid, um, kids are seeing our ads and kids are building our ads, right? So um, yeah, so. It's a good market. Paid. It is, it is. Um, so. Everyone gets paid in that transaction. I, I find it funny, like when a new technology comes out, it's like, where does the expertise come from? Mm. When people, like there's loads of people on LinkedIn being like, I'm a cryptocurrency expert. It's like, <laughs> since when? And it's like, well, if an 18 year old has been spending every waking hour looking at technology, it's like, well, then it's uh, it's open to the the first to the yeah. to the trough, basically. And if the, the kid's 18, it doesn't matter if he's 15. It's like, yeah. they should be paid for that. Yeah, it's like, that's, exactly. that's good. That's just, I guess, a new world. Yeah that we live in. Um, how does one become an influencer? How does one become an influencer? <laughs> and what channel should they choose? Is yeah. it by talking like that? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, funny. Um, I think there are like two things. I think uh, there are two questions on that. So one is content, the other is growth. On content, I think that how you win is by creating really unique content right mm -hmm. so one of the interesting things i've done because you know some people call me like a, a linkedin influencer right just because you like, produce good content yeah and you know again like good amount of views like you know tens thousands hundreds of thousands of views most of content. them are me yeah they <laughs> just go, just right? hitting that refresh <laughs> <button>. <laughs> um and and quite a lot of the um quite a lot of my brand is quite a unique one because the typical advertising industry is like white men right and I come in as like, well, so like old white men. And I come in as like a young black guy, right? So mm -hmm. building a brand predicated on that is a unique voice which I can like hold. And because of that, people actually value what I say because it comes from a different place, not mm -hmm. a place of that, right? So people really value that. I like to hear you just openly take ownership of that as well. Yeah. Because I think it's like you need to know what your angle is, your hook. Mm. To be honest with you, there's a big message going around and maybe something we'll get into in a bit mm. about diversity and technology mm. and it's like well you guys are showing mm. how it's done and it isn't necessarily even based on race it's like your mindset of just mm. hustling things together this is so opportunistic what you've done mm. um, um yeah but, but what is it? i mean are there any obstructions to your path through like do you find any doors shut to you by big white 
old fashioned ad agencies is that, is that a problem or do you not notice that so do you know what i play on that like a lot so i play on the fact that um we're very different right mm -hmm. so i play on the fact that we my three co-founders and all of them you know two of them are from ghana one of them are like one of them is from nigeria right mm -hmm. and i extend that to the fact that there's a diversity of like thought and stuff if i'm honest last year when there was a period when we were raising money and i was almost convinced that some investors said no because they like because not because they were racist mm -hmm. but here's the thing if a 21 year old curly haired white guy wearing a hoodie who comes from stanford comes to you and says they have an idea you have a cognitive bias which says this person checks out right right if a young black guy who's who's built a technology company before and like so that you don't have an example for you to say this seems like a good founder right so you basically have to jump through a lot of like loops mm. you have to unpick your own biases yeah, yes exactly and you know some people just some people just don't realize they have that bias but well, it's too much effort because we see this exactly. with the choice there's so much choice out there that i can say i could i could go with you yeah but I could go with the guys 25 yeah, years exactly. in IT, yeah. gone through all the big blue chip companies. I think you see it a lot in recruitment as well. People mm. like to go with what they know. It's it's what they feel comfortable yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily prejudiced, yeah. although you know from the outside it looks like yeah. that. Well, it's pretty interesting as well. I saw something, it might have been Joe Rogan talking to Jordan Peterson, and he was saying, you can't measure something creative something new because you haven't because like you said mm. you haven't got an experience of it so you what, what are you going to benchmark it against mm. you can't go like my experience of this historically is yeah, being yeah, X. Yeah. it's like um so who do you find that the investors who did take a chance on that were like what is it people who bought into just the influencer marketing scene was it people who do you know what i basically so this happened after like two investors and i said to myself actually do you know what i think there's just too much of a leap they have to make bear in mind i'm not saying the investors were like racist no i just mean like they literally had too much of a leap to say this is a successful founder right so what i did so this was like very early on so we didn't have like we had decent traction but not like insane traction now it's quite easy to raise money because we have like mm -hmm. you know good traction um well, but, Brent Hoberman's talking good talk about you yeah, guys you know yeah. on twitter so it's yeah yeah exactly it's good isn't it um shout out to brett uh, <laughs> brent wow <laughs> We actually have someone in our team called Brett and something I call him Brent. <laughs> kind of crazy. Anyway, so what I figured out was perhaps a, like one thing we could do is to play to their biases. So let's think about the things which they already have a bias about and then let's play across that. So one example is I'm, a, you know, I went, I am a computer scientist from Warwick, right? So instantly you think, oh, technologically savvy check my co-founder ambrose um has a master's from mechanical engineering at imperial college check and mm -hmm. um, my other co-founder mitchell computer science from nottingham and actually sold a company when he was 19 check so you basically now in your mind you're thinking actually these guys these guys forget the like like race element these guys are just really technical people mm -hmm. so then your bias is well if they're super technical this seems like the type of company who i can back because they can build a like technical product so you kind of lean into that bias instead of like just saying like 
this is us, right? Um, so that was pretty much how I jumped through the hoops. And then, you know, quite a lot of our investors, some of them were people who um, we had done work with um, some of their companies mm -hmm. and then it had worked insanely well. And then they were just like, well, if you can be distribution for all my other companies, I'm just kind of like going to invest in you guys. It's, yeah, because I heard really good things about you early on. The guys at Grabble just said that mm. you guys just delivered. Like a lot of people have, have been pretty happy with that. Um, it's good. Yeah, or well, exactly. It, it speaks volumes. Mm. Um, but I think what's so interesting that you did and we see sometimes happen is you didn't take it personally and you created mm. a strategy for it because some people go in, they, they pitch their business for money mm -hmm. and then for whatever reason, it you know, people don't invest and, and we tell them the bad news. We go, mm. sorry, you know, weren't able to raise money and they take it very personally. Mm. You're saying my idea is rubbish. You're saying this, you're mm. saying that. And it's like, it's actually so impressive to hear you just say, this is it's strategic why why do we need to look at it any other way mm. and it's like it's not it's not somebody slagging you off or saying you're not worth it it's mm. just that it's their hard-earned money and they exactly. are you know different levels of caution you don't know what their personal life is at the moment and there are a myriad of fact factors yeah. that yeah, are going to exactly. affect the decision but it's so nice to hear somebody just going i know they're going to be a myriad of factors so i'm going to put my hat on and, and anticipate them yeah. coming up and then have a strategy for them it's just yeah and like, although in the world of like entrepreneurship, we always come up and say, you know, investors back the people and all that stuff. I think when it comes down to it, man, like if you can be, if you can make something as objectively like a good decision as possible, like you're always there, right? Like if I came to you, like as we did earlier and I said, oh, hey, you know, we're, we're doing like a hundred K a month and we've done it for the last three months and we've been going higher and higher like like you don't need to even like believe in the person right it's just like this business is good i mean i'm gonna well, go it's, it's like ben shapiro says he just goes facts don't care about your feelings yeah exactly it's like it's true they exactly. like it's just objective reality mm. um i wanted to ask you on a slightly different tack if, if you have any uh, sort of case study examples of influence marketing working exceptionally well because i know we were talking before we started recording mm. about um Oleg Fomenko, the uh, yeah, our, our yeah, friend yeah. and the the founder of Sweatcoin, and how they've they've spent nothing on on traditional marketing. They mm. spent all their um, marketing budget on influencer marketing, mm -hmm. uh, and they've gone from something like a million to eight million users mm -hmm. uh, since September. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that's extraordinary traction, and just using influencer marketing. But I wondered if you had any sort of case studies of your own. So I mean, apart from our stuff. Um, do you know who I think like did really well? It was um, Casey Neistat, the YouTuber. He mm. did something with like, I think it was Emirates or like Turkish Airlines or something like that, where I think he basically spent like, they gave him a private trip where he just chilled in like in, chilled in an airport and he went to like different like countries and stuff. Um, I think anything that gets you really hooked into the like, experience just through the laptop that you're watching or through the like computer i think anything like that's like really cool mm. i think so there are a bunch of companies you know companies like like fitty and all these guys where they where they get like really hot girls to be like oh you know fitty made me lose weight da, da, da. i think that's like really bad mm, like that mm, that's mm. like really really bad right because like what <laughs> like that's not a, that's not anything engaging that's not anything like immersive for me if you can find a way to like 
really involve the influencer to convey an experience. Right. Um, that to me is like where you win. I've actually recovered my, my wayward thought from earlier <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it pertains to this. Um, so I guess from what you were just saying, this sort of marketing only really works for certain brands. So I'd say, I'd say, yeah. So we've had to, in the past two days ago, we've had to turn down a lot of brands. Um, and I have other friends who are in this industry also who have had to turn down brands as well. I think there are some brands where regardless of how, like, regardless of what you can do, it's like really hard to, to, to kind of really get the message out. And it's probably best that they really kind of like, you know, focus on. Is that in part because of the nature of the brand, but also because of the audience that you have available? Um, so in our case is audience, right. uh, but I think like in general, sometimes it's just like the nature of the brand. Um, it's, it, it's so one of my friends, um, was telling me about one, he had to shut down where well, he, had to shut down. he had to say no to us cause it was a service, which basically, um, helped you write like wills. Right. Wow. So like that, I'm like. I, I just don't know. Like, I, I, like, I mean, yeah, for a load of teenagers who aren't even thinking about dying yet. Yeah, alone, I mean, you know. I mean, so in their case, it actually um, sounds like a really good business. But uh, I'm just saying, <laughs> killing teenagers, <laughs> not killing teenagers. Um, so in their it's case, a big market in death. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, that's it true. is huge. It's, that's high, huge. it's guaranteed. But the way that you scale is not like through like exactly, influence. Yeah. Is through perhaps doing more like traditional stuff or you know. Mm-hmm. Are, there, are there more conventional things that also won't work? Are there things that could work, could be potential clients for you if they reposition themselves or oh, are open um, to um, insurance? Okay, really, insurance for like um, mobile phone, like like as in like the entry level insurance packages for kids and their technology and like house insurance, like house okay. car insurance. I think those guys. I said this at a talk just as like an offhand comment and I realized how good the comment was because <laughs> I was like, actually, insurance companies could easily position themselves as like, we are your friend to explore your life. Like, we are there to help you get your first right. house. We are there to help you Always get your first house. Always got your back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they've kind of like positioned themselves so far as kind of like insurance we are this boring archaic industry right mm-hmm. um so there i think there's like huge opportunity i think there's huge opportunity in like healthcare where people where like you know going to doctors and stuff doesn't seem like too daunting i think there's some like cool companies doing some stuff there's a company called like push doctor who i've heard of who are like doing they're on the like, tube aren't they yeah, yeah, yeah. The so like they're cool because they make actually going to a doctor like quite a fun experience um, well, and also that's a big a big change in the way healthcare i mm. think is going which is to say you keep touching base now. Yeah. You baseline your your level of health, and you keep a certain amount of you know less intense but more frequent contact. Yeah, so if yeah, you yeah. start to get ill, you can manage it quicker. Yeah. I think actually the whole system would be better if young people start just going. Sure, I'm I'm on board with like sending a, a, a blood sample. You know, once yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. right. We've actually got. Have you heard of Threeva? Yeah, yeah, um, Elliot. Yeah. Elliot. Yeah. Elliot, yeah, Elliot and yeah, Hamish. So yeah, we got yeah, we got yeah. Hamish coming on the podcast in yeah. a couple of weeks. Couple of weeks. So yeah, they're yeah. cool, man. I see the ads like I saw the ad on the tube once, and I sent a picture to him like, "Yo, this is so dope!" Like, the ad cool. have you tried it? Have you tried it? I haven't tried it primarily because I'm like super scared of it. <laughs> we tried it. It doesn't hurt <laughs> that much. Edwin, white as a sheet. I'm like, yeah, I'm like super scared in general but it's like empowering for people to to be able to keep it is. keep in touch with their own um when technology then takes over it starts looking at all the patterns and goes okay yeah, like yeah. It's, it's just again it's got your back so 
with a company like Threever into Snapchat or this healthcare market, mm. how, what would a campaign, what would they do? How would they engage with the audience? What's the, the way you position that? Well, I think the really easy thing is to position them as, again, as I said earlier, was just like as a friend, right? So it's this idea that like, hey, we can like, we're there to make sure that you always feel good, right? We're there to make sure that in the long run, there aren't any kind of like, you know, crazy things that um that um pop out at you which you didn't know rather than um kind of you know take an injection and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff if you're like actually we're here to help you make sure that you live like the best life that you ever can they should do a snapchat filter that shows you what you look like if you smoke for 20 years <laughs> that, <laughs> would, that would That'd be quite cool. or if you drank too much it's like okay <laughs> fill your boots but this is what you'll look like if you carry <laughs> yeah, on that lifestyle yeah. that'd be quite cool that'd be quite funny actually i'm gonna, um, I'm gonna patent idea or whatever. <laughs> take it take that's it. mine <laughs> that's kind of funny um, but yeah like i think there's like enormous scope for like companies who are like typically unsexy to do cool stuff right so like one of our first people especially on the snapchat world was um yougov right yes yougov on you know the like sexiest brand in the world but like what happened was our design network built this ad which used the backing track of lil wayne amelie have you heard that song where he mm-hmm. goes like I'm Mele, I'm Mele for like five minutes? And you know, that whole thing he's just talking about how like rich he is, right? So the positioning was you gov, if you go and answer some surveys and get paid for it, you know, you could end up being like super rich like Lil Wayne, right? Or Birdman. Yeah, or Birdman who actually has the money. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um but you know, that did really well because the audience reaction was like, yo, this is so cool that they use like Lil Wayne, right? Um rather than, you know, take some money on some surveys. That's you know, sorry take some service and some money that's, that's that's a pretty like map right but if you can position you know tap into culture is a pretty cool thing i think this is what i believe with technology i think any action you've got to look at actions on a website or technology platform was it has to energize the user to overcome yeah. a certain level of activity yeah and that's what i think so good about snapchat is it hits you with so like hits you from so many different sensory points yeah then when it comes to that impulse yeah, of yeah. purchasing or finding out more it's like i can see yeah why it's quite effective yeah. there's a lot of parts going on there yeah i think just on that topic this is like a completely different thing but there's this amazing company called uh drift um drift. Drift, yeah. so like we use drift and the only reason why so we use drift because the guy who runs it david cancel is like is it like intercom yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> we got an endorsement for intercom last week yeah. <laughs> so you're okay fine yeah. um but like if you got you know there you know like if you go on their site it just compelled you to use Drift. Like, it's like everything about it just seems like this is a community which I want to tap into, right? So they have some of the customers, but they call them like heroes and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So like little things like that are like pretty cool ways to 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 like you know hit people from like different sensory points. Um, we wanted to um, pick your brains about a particular social influencer, yeah, um, who's made had a bit of press about him yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's Logan Paul. Um, uh, I don't know what your your thoughts were on it. Well, should we? If anybody doesn't know, should we give him an introduction? Yeah. So, do you want me to? Well, you okay. I, I I go. You take over. Fill in the blanks. Because sure. my my. So I first saw one of his videos after Christmas last year. Mm-hmm. So literally never heard of him, and I watched his life and review for 2017. And it's this. He wakes up. So he's got a GoPro on, and he wakes up, and he puts on his camo pants and his t-shirt opens his balcony, runs across his rooftop, jumps onto a trampoline, and then lands into his pool. And then what happens is like this five minute video of yeah. how insane this 22 year old kid's life is. And, and I mean, he is 
ridiculously like he's he's a media entity unto himself like he has five million subscribers his videos go up they get millions of views mm. and and he's bought himself this 6.5 million dollar mansion and so the stage so was the money's come through his his own you know yeah, what actually yeah. he started he started back in the days of vine actually the one thing i do respect about him a lot is the guy knows how to create content and he's yeah, done it yeah, by yeah. working very very Super hard um but then i think it was january the second i found out is he he just kicked up this f- absolute firestorm yeah. and i'm gonna let Pretty you good. introduce yeah so the firestorm was um, a video he uploaded where he had gone to this forest in is it japan it was in japan, japan. it's yeah. like northwest of uh, yeah. mount fuji yeah so it's this forest which is known as like the which is known as like the suicide forest because you know people go there to commit suicide and he went uh discovered a dead body and he made a video of kind of him kind of like joking and laughing around with the dead body and obviously people when he uploaded that people are like you must be joking um and the firestorm he had to you know take the video down and he since then he has been on a on a tour of just constantly apologizing it's definitely me a corporate isn't it it's yeah the thing is the thing is and i'll say it's just suicide is is not funny yeah of course there's nothing funny about it and what i and my feeling about it is i don't understand what part of the you know let's say we went out to make a piece of content yeah we'd review it at the end of the day yeah, yeah, and i yeah. think we go i'm not sure about this yeah. this feels like it's an unnecessary risk to take yeah, so i don't yeah, understand yeah. why that thought process didn't happen i don't think he felt like i don't think he wanted to to insult or make fun of suicide i think he genuinely was out of his depth he was living yeah. a, a real world experience that is so much bigger than you no matter how big you think you are the silence and the stillness of that forest and, mm. and that person there is like you just back right off you're not bigger than that you don't have anything to say about that that's somebody's privacy we don't need to enter into those mm. i mean to say nothing about age because we're all quite young here um but he's walked a, a pretty gilded path he doesn't mm. seem to put a foot wrong yeah i mean i don't I'm not sure when he started ten. making these videos he was he was 10 10 Right, so not on YouTube, but on Vine. I think he was he was he was super young, yeah. and obviously he yeah. made his money very very quickly. Um, and there comes with that, there must come with that this sort of this arrogance that you believe that any piece of content you create, mm. um, people are going to get the message that was intended by. It. And I'm not I'm not defending him. Um, I just think he made a, a like a criminal, stupid, stupid mm. mistake. But he's a young guy. Yeah, made, he shouldn't he's, be deserved to be ruined by the 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 mob for it you know what i mean yeah. it's like a little bit algorithmic in my approach of this i'm like so the videos come down the video about suicide awareness has come up but that's right so he's done the he just did that on the 24th of january or something and my, my opinion is as long and we'll have no way of measuring it that that video prevents or inspires more people to seek help if, if they need help and they should seek help because i think there's a, a way out for everybody mm. even if they can't see it or not if it serves that purpose then i think He's done more harm, more more good than He's harm. He's done more good than yeah, harm. I just, but and that is the power of influencers, right? Like because so, he was in such a prominent position, mm. he could make such a dreadful mistake. Like mm. if one of us had made that mistake, maybe not you. Yeah, the um, tumbleweeds don't uh, care what we. Exactly, it would just it would have passed unnoticed, um, um, and it would have been you know paper lining tomorrow's tomorrow's bins. Well, how um, do you manage him out of that as an influencer? If you were going to give him advice from now on, 
Yeah. Is it head low? Is it? So he'd be off your platform. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so <laughs> Tim's not answering my emails. It's gone to info <laughs> at. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, so I guess a number of things. So the first thing would be like um, in the video when he actually kind of sees the dead body. He's he's actually very shocked. Mm-hmm, I agree. So like he's insane. Like he's like, what the hell just happened? Um, I think people laugh when they're nervous. Yeah, I think that it's like when you're shocked, you you have to release energy yeah. somehow. I don't know if anyone questions that. It's more the choice to put yeah. up. The, put I, up I agree. The, the retrospective yeah. edit yeah. was t- disaster. But then you also have to realize that he had that footage, and then he, you know he went through the whole process of like creating it. And I I think a large part, and then. A large part of it comes down to kind of what you said. I think it's just, just a bit of arrogance. Kind of like I can put out anything and mm-hmm. people still kind of like it. And, you know, you know, the fact that he has lived a very kind of chilled out life, you know, sometimes not familiar with that kind of harsh realities. I'd say that if I was kind of, you know, a manager or something. Um, so after the thing, um, he said that he released the video to make, to drive awareness of like yeah. suicide. I think he shouldn't have done that at all. I think that he, I think that he just messed that up um, big time. I think what he should have done was just come out and said, listen, um, you know. Like Kevin Spacey. So, oh, so <laughs> yeah. I was actually just going to draw that exact yeah. parallel. I also think how Kevin Spacey handled that was so abysmally horrible. Yeah, yeah it was disgusting. Yeah, like his 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 PR team should all be fired, mm. right? But um, maybe they just were like, we've got nothing. Yes, we've got nothing. Yeah, I mean, in these cases, but it's so insulting to gay people. What you just come exactly. out? It's so it's, it's like, so insulting. And the thing, if I say, I just say, listen, I am, I am, I am so sorry for this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry for this and um figure out a way in which you can actually kind of make better so like the like the video he made and people appreciate you know people appreciate gestures quite a bit as well so Mm -hmm. if you are like you know okay then for you know the next month i am going to create a bunch of videos which are all going to be on like suicide prevention and all my youtube money every single penny is going to be kind of donated to a charity or i'm not going to monetize in it like something like that right and i think the problem is that um you know people do feel like he kind of just brought up this storm and then it's like monetized on it but i think mm. he genuinely didn't know that this thing could go like imagine starting 2018 i literally thought that i was like no matter how bad my 2018 it's mm. the stuff of like you say it's the stuff of movies his life was so extreme and then it got hammered i mean to be honest with you i wouldn't be surprised if he had his own suicidal thoughts on the back of how well this is drastic this this is interesting it shows um how dark of a place uh, the internet can be. So all these people, his you know his, his audience, people who they aren't his audience, the, the but low, now the low gang, the yeah. low gang, right? Um, obviously, he's accountable to them, um, but they're now well, not all of them, but some of them have now sent him death threats yeah. by calling him out for for laughing at suicide, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're there's a, they're missing the the irony there. Yeah, they're missing the irony. There. Yeah, I mean, I. I I feel like in these cases, the the thing you can do is just say, "Listen, I I'm so sorry," and actually make like 
practical actions to show you're sorry mm-hmm. again like people remember gestures it's like when so many people get like caught in something bad then they say well I'm going to go away and think to myself about how bad of a person I am. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, or people get caught cheating loads of time. Yeah. Go to sex rehab. I've got a sex addiction yeah, problem. Like, it's like, well, whatever. No, like you have to make a like practical gesture. Like, and for me, that's what he missed. Like all this, I did it to raise awareness. No, stop lying. Right? Mm. Like, well, yeah. you know, because Jamal Edwards, uh, SBTV, just did a mm. pretty good piece. He addressed the issue of depression in the mm. creative industries. He just made it there wasn't like as a, a an apology for something mm. he just came out because he wanted to shine some light and it's like well that's what happens if you genuinely want to tackle mm. that issue exactly. Um, exactly rather than just panic yeah do it you, is an error do you see the same level of um you know because youtube can get quite vicious do you see issues with that in snapchat um yes uh very much so uh so as i was saying like some of the kind of channels we own sometimes will Sometimes we'll post something which is like was just off the mark, and in uh, what respect? So, so we have one of our channels is full of, you know, fiercely independent women. It's all about like, it's it's around like life advice and relationship advice and stuff. And one time we posted something which is just like, it's a bit off the mark because it kind of like suggested that women were like subservient to men. Mm-hmm. And like, say I posted it now, it's now like yeah, six thirty-seven. Say I went to get some water, six forty, the phone froze. Oh, because there were just so many comments coming through. Like, what the hell were you doing? Da, 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 right? Um. So yes, you do get that. And the crazy thing is, like, Snap is like talking to your friend. Mm-hmm. YouTube is not so much like that because I can't. If I sent you something on Snap, only you can see it. So I'm, I'm almost directly having a conversation with you. YouTube comments are like posted, but then other people can see it. So because it's like super direct, it actually increases the likelihood of you saying something which is the true essence of what you actually mean, right. which is like, you like you know, you're an effing dick, don't ever do that again, da, da, da. Whereas on YouTube, it's like, yeah, I agree with user XYZ, he shouldn't have said that, right? So, so, so on Snap, there is that, but you know, that's part of the game you play, right? Yeah, I agree. You put yourself out there, I mean, you, you stand to gain massive uh, riches, but I guess yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the axe is sharp and yeah. moves swiftly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to get on to talking about something which is, is quite a dear topic to me. And that's uh, and it's also it's also a very very um, trendy topic when you're talking to and about entrepreneurs, and that's sort of power up routines and health rituals. Mm. You know, how how do you do you have a an idiosyncratic way in which you start your morning that helps you uh, attack all the challenges that you face? Um, yeah. Your- so I didn't until until I did. Um, so I didn't until like uh, I did until December. Uh, last last year, I spent about like two weeks in Ghana. Gave me a lot of time to just like think about just, just how I live my life and how I am process stuff. So, um, I try and operate in a way where I attack the day rather than the day attacking me. So what that starts off with is um, wake up. I used to kind of follow the whole doctrine of, you know, wake up as early as possible, right? so wake up 5.30, <laughs> you know, go to bed. Like, you see, I was like, dude, that, that's just not me. That lets the day attack you for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, right? Because you're just like mad groggy and everything, yeah. right? So uh, for me, typically wake up at like 
738. Um, and then what I then do is increasingly I've been using this app called um, Headspace. So I meditate. Um, I use Headspace to meditate for about like three minutes. And then what I do is kind of the reason why I bought an Amazon Alexa is I then ask the Amazon Alexa, hey, what do I have lined up for today? I've linked it up with an app called AnyDo uh, where I just uh, where I can just have my uh, to-do list done. And I, and I actually program my Alexa the night before. So I just say, hey, Alexa, add you know this, this, this to happen at 12 o'clock or whatever. And then I do that. And then when it tells me, then I go into some like classical music. Um, I, I, I don't know the songs. I just say like Alexa, play Hans Zimmer and mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. play some Hans Zimmer. Interstellar soundtrack. Is yeah. Awesome. yeah. So um, and then typically right after that, I would then play some random hip hop song. So I play something which is like really like boom, 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 boom. Uh, just so it can like get me in the group of stuff. Hyped up. Yeah, exactly. What artists? So typically I'd play something like Future or okay. like Young Thug or like someone who basically like you are listening to them not for the lyrical content. So like not like uh, Kendrick Lamar, but just like some some guy who just Lord knows what he's saying, but it sounds like a good vibe. Um, and then I just get on with my day. Um, I, increasingly I've been, so someone who's, I don't know if your audience is familiar with him. Someone, uh, Howard Kingston. Um, he used to be part of uh, Aludio. Um, Howard Kingston, really cool guy. Is he on the founders' throat? He's on the okay, founders' Okay, fine, that's yeah, where yeah, I've seen the name yeah. from. Um, we spoke and he was talking about like just planning out your week instead of like plan out your day and rather actually plan out your month and then fitting in your stuff like in the week so what i try and do every day is i don't try and go overboard i only try and do like five things and to me i use this um thing called the eisenhower matrix so you basically have things that are important urgent unimportant not urgent and then i prioritize the stuff which are both important and urgent then afterwards i go on to the stuff which are important and the real key thing is but is that by doing that you are in control of like how you spend your time because urgent could be like reply back to bob but if you don't really need to reply back to bob like if you put that at the top of your schedule then bob is in control of your schedule mm-hmm. you should always do things which kind of move forward so if so if it's like yeah ideally reply back to bob well bob can wait until i finish like my mm-hmm. uh, top five things so that's kind of the routine i follow it it uses a lot of like uh, technology uh, um, i try not to go on my phone like before i leave the house i try not to go on my phone it's really sensible which is the reason why i have like alexa and stuff because what i realized was that beforehand i could have my phone on and I could have my um, to-do list on my phone. But if I then go on my phone to check my to-do list, I just randomly end up on, like, Twitter. Like, right? And so it's more like if you just don't involve your phone, if you just don't get your alarm from your phone, mm-hmm. because, again, again, you could just phone, alarm, oh, Twitter. Oh, someone sent me this email. You instantly get sucked in into the day. But if before you leave the house, there's absolutely, like, no phone, um, you start to find that you focus on things that you actually have to do and rather than being sucked in. Um, so that's really it. I mean, a little hack I also have is I like, I do it in a very simple way. So 
I typically I'm wearing all black. It's like same same. Yeah, <laughs> I started just picking like monotone color. Like, and Anthony, yeah. Anthony Rose last week, all black. It's true. Yeah. It's I mean, true. Like if you are able to, because so my girlfriend and I count and I think have like something saying like forty three black shirts or like forty three oh. black t shirts. So for me today, just like black t shirt. Black trousers, black socks. All right, let's go. So then I don't need to like think about it. So like, like Steve Jobs, country. Hank Moody, <laughs> all the great figures. Mark Zuckerberg also has one yeah. wardrobe. Yes, you know, just the idea of like trying to reduce um, cognitive overload, right? Mm. So I think that's that your point about the phone is really important. Um, that's why I'm on Facebook. Oh yeah, because they're just they're just they're designed to distract you. Yeah, there's no way features. you can achieve any any level of of focus mm. with you know you've got 10 tabs open if you're watching if you're watching a film or a documentary or whatever but you're also looking at your phone at the same time you're engaging with neither yeah and i don't know the science behind this but i'm told that that actually has an impact on you know the way your brain is wired such that you'll then find it harder to focus on one thing at a time yeah in the future and the neuroplasticity kicks in exactly yeah. it's like and it was why we'll come on to josh waitzkin but it's like people with insane focus it's like it's not just your willpower it's like the the wiring of your brain is like mm. specifying it and, and meditation as well you have to cultivate it exactly and that's meditation meditation that's why so many people yeah um yeah because beforehand i used to think like meditation was a super like well in fact my co-founder ambrose is like people describe him as very like Woo-woo, right? woo-woo, so he's yeah. so woo-woo, yeah, like, he has a maths degree. Well, maths degree? So he has oh, a, sorry, chemical yeah, engineering. Yeah, yeah, sorry. He has an engineering, but he's so like woo-woo, like it's unbelievable. And he was telling me about like meditation. I was like, oh, this is another one of these things, right? But when I tried in Ghana, like it just centers you, and you always want to be in like control of your day, mm. like always, and your thoughts. And I think that's what social media doesn't let you do is before you go down that news feed it's like you could you know, Trump may do something to, to yeah. send you into a tailspin and you suddenly you start worrying about how unfair like it's like yeah. it just isn't worth taking the risk yeah. the upside's not enough what's the, what's the best that's going to come out you get an interesting article yeah. I, and it's also like for me it's like hmm, about like 50% of our clients I'd say probably 60 60% of our customers are like uh, from the states right so I could randomly just get emails from like the states at like 3am or something like that and if you see it, your instant thing is, you know, reply back. But if you're just like, actually, no, I'm not going to do it. It's, really it's interesting that you say that your co-founder Ambrose is uh, yeah, super quite, wool. it was super wool because um, <laughs> there's a great book by James Fadiman. I think it's called The Psychedelic Experience. Mm. And one of the chapters is on how they use psychedelics <laughs> to solve engineering problems. Interesting. As in, so they, <laughs> really? they, they, they dose people with uh, 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 psilocybin or LSD in lab conditions but these people were you know Stanford engineers who'd been working on, an, on a problem for, for two months and they were encouraged to spend all their energy on that for two months mm. and they came in they were given the dose according to the results of the experiment the the narcotic had the effect on them that they could visualise the problem in a way that they it gave them a new perspective on it that for many of them was was super enlightening. Well, I think you have that that because um, my dad's an engineer and you have that that structural mindset. You have a mm. a mode of thinking which is like characteristic of an engineer. And I think the psychedelic experience allows you to well, it's very visual, so mm. then you can visually rotate the problem in your head with the same kind of architecture that you built up. So mm. there's like discipline. I don't think you can just go and take psychedelics and sit in a field and, and expect to solve anything but i think when it yeah. combines with like this slightly like analytical way of thinking but you just knock it off off center a bit just so it comes at a problem from a different angle it's becoming so like 
synergistic with the narrative that comes out of San Francisco. It's yeah, almost yeah, becoming yeah, like yeah. acceptable yeah, yeah. reality. The, the, the microdose flow yeah, state. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 There's a friend of mine who's doing this thing called, well, he tried to get me to do it. I did for a day. I was like, nah, forget that. Um, sleep hacking, right? So mm. you, every four hours you go to bed. Superman? Is that the Superman sleep? I don't, I don't oh. know. But it's like, every four hours you go to bed for like 20 minutes. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and uh, and like he did that for a weekend and he was like yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm cool i was like this is bullshit <laughs> so i stopped I, I stopped on like friday <laughs> like i started on friday i stopped on friday like, this, this is stupid and it takes me like three hours to get to sleep yeah right? <laughs> um but um you know people try all these different hacks it's cool and do you do normal stuff like sport and going out on big nights out like what's your length of rope you permit yourself in terms of just just being a kid because the one thing i say yeah. is like from 14 to now yeah it's amazing what you've achieved but like people shouldn't forget that that comes at a price which is yeah. that you miss out on a bit of regular childhood of not having anything yeah. in so, responsibility yes yeah. so this is something which i've thought of extensively so obviously like so i don't drink um, yeah i know didn't drink much and i don't you don't drink much either ollie do you and uh, for me a number of reasons why i don't drink when i drunk i got I just lost focus a lot. It's so fine. not even getting drunk, but like just even feeling a bit like... The aftermath, yeah. is, it can be really deranging when yeah. you're just like... But I hear you. Like it's it's just not the right thing for my brain. It's, it slows me down. And yeah. I, like, like I get to a point where I'm like, I can't really hear what somebody's saying. Yeah. It's sort of fun. It's fun sometimes. And other yeah. times I just feel like generally just yeah. like lower. I don't think as many thoughts. And I just, yeah. I, that's not a comfortable place yeah. for me to be. Mm. I just find it boring apart from anything. Yeah. What about diet? Because what a lot of people don't realise is how big of an effect what you eat can, yeah, yeah. can have on your on your mental state. So I started this thing called like intermittent fasting. Yeah. So um, yeah, well. before and I was so I've been doing this thing called like intermittent fasting. Uh, before and I was quite like a chubby kid. Oh, actually, I wasn't ever chubby. I just had like excess weight which I shouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. So again, following on from Ambrose. Um, started doing intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Ambrose. Oh, yeah, I like the sound good. of Ambrose. He's good. Um, and then you we should know. get him on sometime. Yeah, he's an experience. They do so. He's so smart. Um, and I think that um, intermittent fasting is a pretty solid thing. I complement it with diets and dieting. I'd say I'm not great. I have a personal trainer right now, so he can like force me mm-hmm. to like go gym and diet well. The gym is fine. The dieting is like is like because I'm. I can't cook. So because I can't cook, a lot of the stuff he told me, like sweet potato and salmon with veg. I'm like, no, I'll do that then. <laughs> right? So, you know, thankfully, I have a girlfriend who can cook. <laughs> uh, so, like, she helps me with that. But even... You're going to upset that Snapchat channel again if you yeah, carry probably, on talking like that. Be careful. Yeah. Like, uh, are um, sexist? And with the intermittent, so what, yeah. how, do you, how do you run that? So mine's, like, super extreme. Um, so we're, we're all, I all, bet all I, four extreme. We, I, we've, I'm interested yeah. to know if, so I, if I pass it. Mine is um, any specified two hours during the day and then that's it so So you only eat within a period of two hours yeah so so you have one meal a day yeah so it can be at any period so it could be like so like today um today i think was between like one to three about that juice Uh, that juice right there that juice is fine right make him feel bad (laughs) (laughs) juice is fine So, so so i can have like um juice and stuff but like actual actual like uh, food and stuff now um so that's it that's really how i kind of like so that is intense um but i can tell you why i think 
in a way it's it's very very good for you so the one the, the version of intermittent fasting that i do is circadian rhythm intermittent mm. fasting and so i try to eat two meals a day within an eight hour window yeah. so i fast for 18 hours uh no 16 hours 16 hours, 16 yeah. hours. um or actually no i do try and fast for 18 hours so i eat within a uh, six hour window um but that six hour window is in daylight hours be- because supposedly what i like to believe which validates my existence is that your your body works on a rhythm which is the circadian rhythm which is with the, the sun rising and the sun setting and your digestive enzymes etc function properly at those times if you eat late at night you're not gonna digest mm. it as well as you would and get all the nutrition and expel the right bits mm. in the same way as if as if you ate um during the day before the sunset so i try and eat that six hour window is before the sun sets. So at the moment, I, I eat at about 10 and 3.30. We should get in a professor from my university, Imperial Dr. Russell Foster, was uh, like a world-renowned expert on circadian rhythms. Maybe we'll, we should try and get him I'd along. I'd love to talk to We him. should try and get him along. He's super interested. He, he wrote a really good book about it. That'd be um, pretty cool. Because yeah, I think, I think cool. that, but again, it's this thing of like, I think for some people, they probably, they eat, they, again, you're spending your whole day digesting. <laughs> and, and, and I, like when I'm eating a heavy meal, like I never feel like as like I can think as clearly. Yeah. Like I like not being full. It makes me feel like I can always go somewhere. I don't mind topping it up. Oh, like, you're so much more lucid when you you've got a bit of a uh, thinking space in your tummy, as it were. At Christmas, you just feel like you're putting food on top of food. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you're, you're exactly. You're not even hungry by the time you eat again. Yeah. It's quite interesting. So my my girlfriend, her boss runs a podcast, and they did a five day water fast, which was to go five days without eating food, which I did in 2015 in February. It was particularly cold, which is a bad time to do it. Mm. But you know what? And I will say this on record: there is no such thing as being hungry on a 24 hour window Mm. basis because I was three to four days in having had nothing but water and by the third day you just got so clear thinking it's it's almost like you your brain starts to focus on one thing at a time it doesn't start to like expend energy on anything it doesn't need to and I'm not saying you should do that but it was interesting I've not done it since I think learning that the compulsion to eat is is based on habit rather than necessity Mm. I think that's an important lesson for people to learn Um, so then five days without eating anything yeah there are some you, good you, there are some good articles on it um uh, Nat we'll, we'll link good them ones, actually. actually yeah it's, it's interesting look it's not gonna be for everybody Super but it's the first time in my life i my you you reset what you're eating and then thought about it and when i first ate something again after the, the mm. fifth day everything tasted so sweet the, the tastes were overwhelming and when you know when you're binge eating on other stuff like yeah, you, you can barely yeah, even yeah. notice and it was like that was so weird didn't you feel like very tired no I think the first the first day or thought, so yeah, is the hardest. You feel yeah. it because you think your body's expecting to eat. Well, yeah. It's like food screaming at you as well. Every time you see something, you know because your your brain is simply spotting what you're yeah. not allowed to do. It it pops it up everywhere. Like you'd be looking at that juice cup, yeah. just thinking like I, I've got to ignore it, which in in a way makes it worse. Yeah, mm. because for a weekend, I remember doing a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember Friday. I was uh, for Friday. I was like, so I was that this is ridiculous, right? And then. Saturday, I was still like, this is ridiculous. And then Saturday evening, I was like, oh, this isn't bad. And well, that's it, because your body's going from being carb-adapted, which yeah. is almost polar, to, to fat-adapted, which is supposedly, and I, and I, from my own experience, I think it is, um, very satisfying once you're used to it yeah, and you yeah, fill yeah. up you fill up much more you're much more satiated yeah you want to eat less less frequently yeah 
I don't um, know. I think I might try that thing. No, but like, do, please, probably not five, do not, but I'll do try not, for like a day. Yeah, I, 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 every Monday, I do it every Monday. Where you don't eat? Yeah, I, I have I have a big lunch late on Sunday, and then I have and then I have breakfast at ten on Tuesday. Um, and supposedly it gives your your body a chance to to basically feed off itself, but yeah, it, it attacks the, the toxic bits. Um, there are some good articles I can send you after this. That'd be cool, man. Um, I also think people try experiences like what like you can try it. if it doesn't work for you you can go back to doing whatever you did before yeah but if it makes it. you feel better like yeah, yeah. when novak Djokovic said that going vegan worked for him if it's like if that works for you yeah. that's what's so simple about say. health is that it's it's very personal it, it's individual it's like you can't and the problem with the health system is that you, they treat conditions by prescribing drugs mm. whereas each person is so different and that's why i guess the the three ver the 23, 23 and me, me these yeah. movements towards like personalized nutrition and medication yeah I would have thought would save the health system a lot of money and oh, they will. hopefully save a lot of people. They from will. The transition, though, is always the difficult part because you can't show the valuable outcome. I mean, how can I show that intermittent fasting may help you in 40 years' time? Mm. The only thing I know, the one thing I do know is my, my grandma's 102. And she's never eaten. <laughs> she's, she's never eaten a meal in her life. Um, <laughs> and and ugh, she has had no strategy. She's not even in a nursing home yet. Like literally, from when I first saw her when I was five to now, she's looked old or just <laughs> old, and she's not changed. And it's unbelievable when you speak to her on the phone, and she never forgets your birthday. And I mean, for her, I think it was just avoiding stress. But let's assume you know you're going to get stressed because you're working in an entrepreneurial environment. We're going to get stressed because we're working in London. So I think you've got to work out what decompresses. That's interesting because my nan, in who I went to live with in Ghana, uh, so I went for her eighty-fourth birthday, and very similar to you in terms of like, my nan has always been old, um, hmm. but like she, you know, she gets up, she goes around the cook, she like walks around the house, she does the, all, all the stuff, and the stress factor might be quite interesting actually. I think leaving all intensity aside and all these super super um, difficult diets. If you just avoid or mitigate as far as possible stress mm. and avoid sugar at all costs, you'll you'll do well. Unless you're genetically There's predisposed to and, uh, and, un- and unlucky. <laughs> yeah, we were really gunning yeah, for really that. Yeah, really gunning for we? that. Now you just shot that out of the sky. <laughs> um, okay, we'll we'll try and draw it to a close there. So thank you very much for coming on, Timothy. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been really a really fun time. We'd like to um, try and help you out a bit if we can. So is there one thing that we could ask our audience, um, whether it's a connection or whatever it is, anything that we could help you grow fan bites a little bit? Um, oh, thanks for the offer. Great. Um, it would be great to learn how people have scaled up sales teams. Um, I think we're currently in the scaling phase of the business. And um, if, if, if someone has some ideas or practical strategies on how to grow. Or even knows a good salesperson. Or even, yeah, or even knows a good um, salesperson. Um, if someone knows how to like, scale sales teams in like, a predictable fashion, um, that'd be great. Well, there it is. There's uh, maybe a job at Fanbytes for yeah, anyone looking. Um, info at fanbytes.com. <laughs> 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 Awesome to hang out with you, Timothy. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, olliored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. 
Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.